On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Elon Musk floats the idea of suspending orders on certain Teslas while the wait list is so long. Plus, Elon's thoughts on launching the Cybertruck after its EV pickup truck rivals, highlights and analysis from Tesla's 2021 impact report, and more. What's happening, friends? I'm Ryan McCaffrey here with you for Ride the Lightning episode 354 for May 15th, 2022, alongside my canine co-host, Daisy the Boxer. I have had a bit of a strange week. There is the good news. There's plenty of fun stuff to talk about on this week's podcast. I've had a bit of a strange week. Hopefully yours has been better than mine. Uh, Daisy pulled up limping for no reason that I could discern uh, last weekend after I'd recorded the podcast. So I'm getting her looked at tomorrow. There's a very kind listener out there who's a veterinarian, saw my tweet, reached out to me, exchanged a couple notes with him. He suggested I get her looked at just in case. So I'm hoping there's not going to be anything bad going on there. She's walking better now, but I don't know. She seems to be still favoring that side a little bit like when she sits. So keep your fingers crossed for me for some good news there. I also sustained a cracked windshield on my Model 3 this week, which uh, you know, it could be worse. It could have hit the body and dinged or dented the body. So I'll always take glass over body. But that's still going to be a what I think is 500 bucks, whatever my deductible is. I actually need to double check. That'll be the second windshield I've had to replace in not quite four years. And uh, bad, but ultimately good. I guess, yeah, ultimately good. We had a COVID scare in our house this week. Uh, we're in a carpool in our daughter's school with two other families, totaling three other kids and their parents. And uh, everybody else in the carpool got COVID, but we didn't. We managed, we thought, well, we'll see what happens because we've definitely been exposed, but we got tested, you know, at an urgent care rather than using the somewhat not reliable at-home tests. And somehow we ducked it. So at least that's the good news. (sighs) So yeah, it's been a week and I'm ready to do this podcast and talk some Tesla Hey, by the way, uh, I've got the sixth anniversary of my Patreon coming up, of bringing the podcast to Patreon and the wonderful support that you guys have given me in that time. I've got some new ideas for the Patreon that I've been cooking up as that sixth anniversary approaches. So once that rolls around in just a few weeks, I will announce those for you. So stay tuned for that. I think it's going to be fun and offer those of you who are kind enough to support my efforts on Patreon a bit more content that I hope you will enjoy. So stay tuned for more on that coming up soon. But first, of course, what you're here for, not me, you're here for Tesla. Let's talk about everything happening with our favorite EV car company this week. Uh, Let's start with this, an interview with Elon Musk. He he, uh, conducted an interview with the Financial Times And uh, there were quite a a number of interesting clips, a number of interesting topics that came up here. And the first one is uh, an answer to this question. Is there such a thing as too much demand? Maybe, maybe not. But Tesla has such a problem, if you can hear the air quotes on that one, such a problem with demand that according to Elon Musk, they are now considering removing the ability to order certain vehicles 
for at least a, a, just a temporary amount of time. Obviously not forever. There are no cars being canceled, but Tesla may stop taking orders for certain cars pretty soon. So here's the clip. I will play you what Elon said, and I want to give a tip of the cap to someone who listens to the podcast, the whole Mars blog. Uh, they pulled a number of clips here that I've got for you, starting with this one. Demand is exceeding production to a ridiculous degree. Um, uh, we're actually probably going to limit, uh, just, just stop taking orders for, for anything beyond uh, a certain period of time because, you know, some of the timing is like a year away. All right, so let's break this down. The two most likely vehicles affected here, if Tesla were to actually go through with this, I believe would be the Model Y long range and the Model X long range. Those are the two that have wait times stretching into 2023. A bone stock Model Y, I've brought this up before. Uh, in fact, uh, it was not too long ago when I mentioned this, that the absolute stock cheapest Model Y you could get 19-inch Gemini wheels, white or midnight silver metallic paint, the two colors that don't have any additional fee on them, uh, which is sold out for the duration of 2022. That vehicle is currently showing a delivery estimate window of February to May of 2023. So you could have a full 12-month wait on that if you order today. And then the bone stock Model X, again, the you know white or midnight silver metallic, with the 20-inch wheels, that vehicle is even worse. For that Model X, it is a May to August 2023 window right there. So I do feel like those are the two culprits, the two most likely to uh, be affected by this should this policy go into effect. Here's what I wonder, though. If Tesla actually did this, would it backfire? And by backfire, I mean... A, cause more orders uh, for, or uh, meaning more orders leading up to it, or B, would it simply create a secondary gray market where people who do have orders in the queue get to take delivery and then could immediately, should they desire, flip those cars for a healthy profit? If that happens, does Tesla care? And I'm asking that just just hypothetically, I'm not putting any judgment on it. I'm not suggesting yes or no. I'm honestly wondering, would Tesla care if that were to emerge? Personally, I don't ultimately think that's a good thing. Uh, I think most people, and by that, I'm not talking about even the, the secondary gray market. I'm talking about ceasing orders. I think most people would rather just have a place in line, even if it's an exceptionally long line, then have no choice but to either buy a car from an individual seller at a markup or just wait around until Tesla opens the design studio back up again so that they can get a spot in line. Now, on a related note, again, if Tesla did do this, it would certainly do one thing, and that is keep used Tesla vehicle values high, which they already are now. In fact, I believe if this happened, it would probably send those values higher because, again, the supply would shorten, if not in a literal sense, then in an emotional sense because there'd still be a bunch of people in the queue, there'd still be cars being produced, 
but it would sort of, uh, I think, have something of an emotional effect here, uh, kind of a, a, a sway over people, if that makes any sense, because ultimately perception's reality, and that's really what I'm talking about. Like, this would, this would change the perception a bit, and I think uh, cause the value of used Teslas to go up even higher. I'm extraordinarily curious to see how this plays out. Again, if indeed Elon and Tesla do go through with stopping orders for some period of time. In fact, I wonder if these gratuitous wait times are putting any extra pressure on the Giga Berlin and particularly the Giga Texas teams to try and pump out more Model Y. I say particularly Texas because it's the wait time in the United States, North America, is exceptionally high. At least, you know, Berlin will make vehicles for Europe and that is sort of its own sort of semi-separate problem. So uh, on that note too, where at this point, I'm recording this on Friday the 13th, May 13th, where is that standard range all-wheel drive Model Y that we know is being built at Giga Texas on the Model Y 2.0 platform, the structural battery pack and 4680 cells? If they're being built... I'm now, I've reached the point where I'm curious, why isn't Tesla offering any for sale just yet to the general public? I feel like there's got to be some kind of movement on that that's imminent. I mean, it's been a good, it's been over a month now since that Giga Texas grand opening when the first of those vehicles were delivered to Tesla employees. So something's got to give on that fairly soon. And maybe those standard range Model Ys even though they're not that much cheaper, as I told you about a couple of shows ago, can help alleviate some of this, this pressure buildup in the Model Y uh, production pipeline and, and you know demand the wait list for this. Next clip from this Financial Times interview with Elon Musk. Here is Elon being asked about licensing battery technology or other things to other automakers should they show interest. Uh, but, but I think the, you know, the regular car industry, the, the traditional car makers um, will solve electrification. It's not fundamentally difficult at this point to make electric cars. Um, the thing that I think they may be interested in licensing is Tesla uh, autopilot full self-driving. Um, and I think that would save a lot of lives. Um, but, but I think we, we still have, we, we have to prove ourselves for, I don't know, maybe another year or so, um, and and then perhaps there will be some um, other car makers who uh, may wish to license Tesla Autopilot, um, and we'd be very open to that. So he thinks they're at least a year away from licensing the full self-driving autopilot system to anybody else. The two big questions for me are, one, what would the price tag be? And two... Who would be willing to swallow their pride and pay it? Tesla has so much invested in autopilot and the full self-driving project. I'm talking about what must be tens of thousands of man hours, if not more, from some of the smartest people on the planet in a, in a uh, job, a, an objective here that's never been done, you know, something that's never been achieved, plus... In terms of what Tesla has financially invested, they also have 
all the money that they've invested in hardware three, AKA the full self-driving computer and the upcoming hardware four. I suspect this license would not come cheap. Would it cost a billion dollars if Toyota called up and said, we want your full self-driving system? Is it just a flat billion dollar fee? Is it more? I mean, I don't think it's, this kind of reminds me of the video game world to tie this back to my day job. And the reason I say that is there are a handful of companies, Epic Games among them, the makers of Fortnite, a game you've probably heard of if you've heard of any video games at all. That company makes an absolute killing licensing their game engine out to other game makers in order for those game makers to effectively get a running start on development. The idea is if you license their game engine, it's gonna save you a lot of time and thus money to get your game built. The Unreal Engine, which is the name of Epic's technology, has at this point in 2022 now, it has become nearly ubiquitous in the games industry. It is kind of the de facto engine that you license if you just want an awesome off the shelf thing to start you know, to get your game uh, up and running on. And with Tesla, I think FSD could be similar to that on a much larger, certainly financial scale, and you know, with a, of course, much higher price tag than what Epic gets with Unreal. I mean, they do a deal. I mean, you, maybe it could work like this, because if again, if we're gonna look at this as an analogy, if we could maybe learn something here, you never know. Maybe it would apply, maybe it wouldn't. It used to be that the Unreal Engine would just cost a fee. You just have to pay Epic and then you'd get to use the engine and they would give you tools and support. But there are some different business models for it now so that indie developers, people that don't have the massively deep pockets of the massive uh, game publishers can also use Unreal Engine and things like uh, where they'll give it to you. Epic will let you have the engine for next to nothing up front, but they're going to take points on the back end. Maybe Tesla offers those same options. Like maybe it's a very, very high price tag up front. If you just want to license it, just pay all in one go. Or maybe Tesla takes a piece of every single FSD subscription or and or maybe even every single car sold by a company that were to license it and put that technology in their cars. I could see it going either way. I mean... You know, you buy Tesla's FSD computers if you're a if you're a competitor now. You buy the computers, you buy the software package. Theoretically, you could source the cameras from the same place Tesla gets them and maybe save a little bit of money that way, but odds are it'll just come as some big package deal. And in return, again, you would get Tesla's support as you brought your system online with your vehicle fleet. I mean, Elon has said very recently that he thinks the Optimus robot, the Tesla bot, could be bigger than the car business. I'm not going to argue that point because it's all hypothetical at this point, and certainly the CEO of the company has a better idea than I do, just a, a guy doing a podcast. But I will say that I think FSD licensing, it might not necessarily be a, a bigger piece of revenue than the Tesla bot, but I think FSD licensing could be an absolutely gigantic revenue driver for Tesla as well. 
And for any other automakers, by the way, that think, well, forget Elon and Tesla. We can do this ourselves. There's this to keep in mind. You know, our autopilot full self-driving AI team is uh, incredibly talented and, and, and some of them are the smartest software engineers in the world. Um, so, and I do not give compliments lightly. So uh, we have an incredible team. We have the best real world AI team in the world, uh, the, the, the best real world AI team that, that on earth. Um, and, um, and we're seeing more and more uh, incredibly talented people join our team. So, um, and we're really not seeing anyone else being close to solving real world AI. Um, they, they may exist, but if so, they're being very subtle about it. And I periodically pull our team and say, like, do we know anyone who is doing this? Because, we, you know, we know who a lot of the, the, the top people are in AI and what they're doing. And, and, and we just don't see anyone else um, that we're aware of making any significant progress in real world, world AI, apart from Tesla. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, I do. I am quite confident that we'll not merely maintain our software lead, but increase it. He's not wrong right there, which makes me think one thing. It reminds me of a quote. I'll just butcher this quote, paraphrasing a quote from one of my favorite movies ever, Field of Dreams. The licenses will come. Oh, yes, Ray, they will come. <laughs> All right, next up, uh, the next clip I've got for you. Elon was asked if... Tesla might lose the EV pickup truck race before Tesla can even enter it if they don't get the Cybertruck into production soon. Here's what Elon had to say about that. No. Good. Um, we've had another question coming. We have more orders for the Cybertruck than we could possibly fulfill for three years after the start of production. Three years from the start of production. So, okay, let's do the math on this. I told you a few episodes ago that I think Cybertruck production will start in Q1 of 2023 based on comments from the Q1 earnings call and in the shareholder letter. And we know that they won't reach volume production until about 12 months later, which was set on that same earnings call. And we know from Battery Day, from the question that I was fortunate enough to ask and get answered by Elon, that volume production for the Cybertruck means a run rate of a quarter million Cybertrucks per year. So that means 500,000 trucks combined for years two and three. And year one, let's say maybe half of that, just as a rough guesstimate. Therefore, my interpretation of what Elon just said right there is that Elon thinks that they have over 600,000 real actual orders for the Cybertruck. We know there are many more reservations than that, but Tesla must obviously have a pretty good read on how many of those they believe are going to convert into actual orders. I mean, they can look back on data from the Model Y uh, and from the Model 3 on those reservations as well. Although, this all assumes that they won't get any more orders from now, well, reservations, many more reservations from now until the start of production, be it in Q1 2023 or whenever it is. They obviously will get more reservations between now and then. And once the Cybertrucks hit the road, 
I don't think anybody has really stopped to let this sink in. Once the Cybertruck starts hitting the road, Tesla is going to immediately get a lot more orders. Not a little, a lot. Similar to what happened with the Model 3. Remember when that had 450,000 pre-orders, $1,000 reservations ahead of launch, and then the car starts coming out and people start seeing it and hearing that it's great and seeing reviews and hearing from friends and neighbors and family, and it just dominoes. It just spirals from there. Uh, and more and more orders pile up, and you have to keep production ramping to to try and keep up. So uh, I would say getting to the inevitable comparison that the interviewer hinted at in his question there, I'm going to be honest, I really don't think that the four major EV pickup trucks that are kind of there now, because there are more coming, there's the Silverado, etc., but the four major EV pickup trucks that we have or are imminent, uh, which I'm, you know, including the Cybertruck, obviously, I don't think they really overlap that much in terms of the buyer they're going to appeal to. Like the middle of the Venn diagram with the four of them, I don't think it's that big. I mean, you've got the F-150 Lightning, which I feel like is going to largely be for traditional truck people who are willing to make the leap to electric. And that's a great thing. The Rivian is the more upscale, lifestyle, outdoor adventure truck with a price tag to match, kind of like the Land Rover of EVs, right? And then the Hummer EV is incredibly expensive, but it is a spare-no-expense, long-range, off-road-capable, crab-walking beast that will be a status symbol as much as anything else, And so it has its place and it has its crowd that it's going to appeal to. And then you have the Cybertruck, which in my humble opinion is going to be the truck that is uh, really going to draw in tech people and current EV enthusiasts who want to get their first truck and make a, and or make a very bold statement. Again, I'm not saying each of these trucks will only appeal to those groups and no one else. But by and large, I really do think each of them are going to have their own group, their own niche. And so I think they're all going to be able to coexist in the marketplace very, very well. And and so I agree with Elon that the Cybertruck is by no means dead and buried before it even comes out just because the Hummer EV, the Rivian and the F-150 Lightning have already hit the market. The next clip I have for you, I've got two more. So this one, Elon was asked about a subject that's come up before, but this time it hits a little closer to home if you're in the United States, and that topic is sharing the supercharger network with other non-Tesla EVs. Here's what he had to say about that. Uh, We've already opened Tesla superchargers to um, other electric cars in Europe, uh, and we intend to roll that out uh, worldwide. Um, it's a little trickier in the U.S. because we have a different connector than the, the, the rest of industry, uh, but we will be adding the uh, rest of industry connectors as an option to superchargers in the U.S. So we'll be fully, we're, we're trying as best as possible to do the right thing for the advancement of electrification, even if that diminishes uh, our competitive advantage. 
I'm gonna be honest here. I get the bigger picture, and I agree with the bigger picture reasoning for doing this, but as a Tesla customer, I am perhaps selfishly, I admit, not on board with this with the key caveat yet. And the reason I feel that way is that Tesla is already having a difficult time scaling in all customer-facing ways. Scaling production to meet demand. Scaling up service centers to meet the rapidly growing size of the fleet. Scaling up superchargers to enable customers to have a good experience when traveling. These are good problems to have, don't get me wrong. They are the best of problems, but they are still problems. So Tesla letting others in is the right thing for the mission, and it can be a good business move too because non-Tesla vehicles will no doubt have to pay more. But if you've ever had to wait in line to use a supercharger, you know it's not a fun experience. And it can even be potentially an anxiety-filled one too. People get impatient, they're stressful when they're traveling, all it takes is one person to try and skip the line and suddenly it's a real tense thing. Thankfully, I've never experienced that, but I definitely have waited in line before, a long line, and it's no fun. So personally, I would rather see Tesla wait a few years before doing this, but in Tesla's typical go, 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 go fast way, it doesn't look like that's gonna happen. So. I guess we'll see uh, the big question now, how many owners of non-Teslas will A, purchase an adapter and B, take advantage then of the Tesla supercharger network? Maybe it's gonna end up being a relatively small number, at least at first, and maybe it ends up being a non-issue because by the time enough non-Teslas start visiting the superchargers in great numbers, there will be many, many more superchargers to compensate for it, but nevertheless, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting, and I just hope this doesn't negatively affect those of us who have already used our money to become Tesla customers and wanna have a good experience in the ecosystem. All right, finally, one more clip I've got for you from this Financial Times interview, and a thank you one more time to Whole Mars Blog for grabbing and posting all these great audio clips. I'll let the Financial Times interviewer take this one with your cash and obviously your market cap at the moment, you would ever consider buying another car maker, whether an established OEM or a new business? Mm, uh, well, I think it's highly unlikely now. This was a great question, I have to say, and I can't say I'm surprised by the answer from Elon. I mean, the fact of the matter is the way Tesla operates is so radically different than any of the other companies, be they new or certainly the established ones, that it would probably be quite literally more trouble than it's worth to acquire somebody else and then you know, bring another automaker into the fold and try to integrate them into the Tesla way of doing things. But an interesting question, nevertheless. Moving on this week, the uh, other big thing I wanted to talk about is the impact report. Tesla puts this out every year, the 2021 impact report detailing their people and culture, environmental impact, supply chain, and product impact. It is a very comprehensive report that's quite interesting if you want to read the whole thing. You can find it on Tesla's website at tesla.com impact. But I wanted to talk about a few highlights here. First up, Tesla notes, in 2021, the global fleet of Tesla vehicles, energy storage, and solar panels 
enabled our customers to avoid emitting 8.4 million metric tons of car CO2e, carbon, uh, carbon dioxide uh, equivalent. So I confess that I don't really have much context for that in the grand scheme of things, but uh, last year, I went and looked up last year's impact report for just some context, the number was five, exactly five, 5.0 million metric tons of CO2e there. So uh, more than 50% than la compared to last year, or compared to 2020, 2021 over 2020. That is some serious uh, savings on the CO2e front. So that's pretty cool. And it's, another, it's a number I think is worth keeping an eye on every year. As the fleet grows, as the you know more factories come online, as the company grows. Another section. In 2021, we received three million job applications from those wanting to be a part of this mission. And we created nearly 100,000 direct new jobs in a decade. While many manufacturers are trimming their operations, we are growing as quickly as is feasible. Wow, three million job applications last year. Unfortunately, I don't know how many job openings that was for. Just as a somewhat educated guess, maybe it's not maybe it's just a, a shot in the dark here, but I would think it couldn't have been for more than a few thousand jobs, maybe you know 10,000. I'm not sure, but you gotta figure, it could be anywhere on average, obviously it will vary roll to roll, but could be an average of 500 applications per, uh, per opening, maybe even up to 1,000 applications per job opening. No matter how, how it, what the number actually is, it's a lot. And boy, uh, just God help all of the recruiters at Tesla and the hiring managers that have to sift through all those. Again, a good problem to have. If you have a lot of people that want to work for the company, no doubt many of them will be supremely talented, but sifting through all of that is indeed a full-time job unto itself. Now, I also found this interesting in the impact report. It says the top choice for graduating engineers as far as companies that they want to work for, well, you might think, since I'm doing, I'm talking about this right now, that Tesla's number one. It is not, but it is number two on the list behind, you guessed it, SpaceX. So yes, uh, Elon Company is topping the list of the places that engineers want to work for the most. And I'll say, uh, with regard to Tesla's number two ranking, I can't imagine that Tesla is going to drop in that ranking anytime soon. I mean, remember the story that I told you about at the end of the podcast a few weeks ago about the boy that stopped me when I was on vacation because I was wearing my Tesla shirt and just started talking Tesla with me for a while and brought his parents over to join in and, and just the enthusiasm there. I mean, it's 10-year-olds now, kids now, they are going to go through school wanting to work for Tesla, wanting to own a Tesla, and there are going to be a lot of future engineers in that group that are just focused on working for Tesla when they graduate. And it's just going to enable this entire new generation of talent to continue to uh, set that high bar for excellence at Tesla. Uh, next from the impact report, 
Tesla notes, at the end of 2021, Tesla, including SolarCity prior to its acquisition, has installed almost four gigawatts of solar systems and cumulatively generated over 25 terawatt hours of emissions-free electricity. Here's the fun part. For reference, that is more energy generated by our installations than the total energy Tesla has used to run all of our factories since we began producing Model S in 2012 and electricity used to power all of our vehicles in that same period combined. So that is just a pretty cool number. I mean, that is impressive right there. Because for a company whose goal is repeatedly stated over and over, we get hammered with it, to help transition the world to sustainable energy, it's genuinely important for Tesla to be able to stand up and say, hey, we've created more renewable energy than we have consumed. I love to see that. And I have to imagine it's only going to continue with the newer, more advanced gigafactories coming online. Uh, next, how about car fires? This was brought up. And Tesla says, when the media reports a story about a vehicle fire, it is usually reporting on an EV fire. This is likely a result of chasing clicks rather than the prevalence of EV-related fires compared to, IC, uh, compared to ICE re vehicle-related fires. The reality is, when compared to Tesla vehicles, ICE vehicles catch fire at a vastly higher rate. According to the latest available data, in 2020, there were almost 173,000 vehicle fires in the U.S. alone. From 2012 to 2021, which would conveniently be the time that the Model S went into production, there have been approximately five Tesla vehicle fires for every billion miles traveled. By comparison, data from the National Fire Protection Association and U.S. Department of Transportation show that in the U.S., there are 53 vehicle fires for every billion miles traveled. Thus, fire incidents are nearly 11 times lower for Tesla vehicles than the average vehicle in the United States. This right here, this statistic is the one you might want to file away, save it, put it in your back pocket for any fudsters that you might encounter in the future, or not even necessarily that extreme. Maybe it's a family member who's been, you know, just read something and is a little skeptical or friend or, you know, coworker, whoever it may be, somebody actually in your life. That is a significant statistic. I mean, because we know fires are a big one that the Fudsters like to harp on. And like most fear, uncertainty and doubt, it's rooted in something either factually incorrect or grossly inaccurate. And really, it's kind of both on this one. Uh, that is everything from the impact report that I wanted to share with you. Again, there was a lot there. So go to tesla.com slash impact if you would like to read the rest. And for now, uh, I've got a few of your excellent calls lined up. More great questions in the Ride the Lightning, uh, Ride the Lightning hotline. Pardon me. Let me try that one more time. In the Ride the Lightning hotline coming up for you right after this. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. 
You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. It is time for the Ride the Lightning Hotline, your chance to call in and be a part of the podcast. If you've got a Tesla question, comment, or discussion topic, I would love to hear from you. There are two easy ways that you can call in. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question, please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many people each week as possible, and email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can call and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline at the toll-free number, which is 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. Let's kick it off with Chris in Arizona. Hey, Ron. This is Chris in Arizona. And I um, was just listening to the podcast and wanted to comment on the idea of adding superchargers at places like Bucky's or creating a new place like Bucky's for Tesla. And I don't think it's needed. I think Tesla's doing the right thing. If you, I sent you an article, it shows that. Uh, Tesla and Bucky's have partnered up to add superchargers at 26 of their locations across seven states, which is pretty awesome. That sounds like it's all of them. Um, Tesla just needs to put superchargers at all the truck stops. I was recently driving across from California to Arizona and stopped in Needles, California at this little Shell gas station. They had four superchargers. Maybe you've been there. Four superchargers attached to the side of the gas station. I mean, they're actually closer to the station than the gas pumps were. And gas in Needles, California was $7.25 a gallon. Um, it was a nice, it was an older supercharger setup, but uh, it got me all the way home from Needles and my new Model Y, which was really nice. Or anyway, um, just my thought is they we don't need to add more stores. We just need to add more superchargers at the existing stores. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Chris, thanks for the call. I agree. That's the path of least resistance for both Tesla and those convenience stores slash gas stations, because it's inevitable that more and more electric vehicles are going to hit the road in significant numbers. And given that even a quick fast charge takes a good 15 to 20 minutes and probably still will for the foreseeable future. Yes, the fast charging technology is getting better, but you know, these things still take time. It means If you're a place like Bucky's or one of the other similar ones, you've got a customer effectively trapped. I don't mean it in any kind of malicious way, but you've got a customer there longer than you do a customer who's driving a gas car who could just roll up, fill up in five minutes and be gone. So therefore, installing fast chargers, be they Tesla superchargers or a third party standard, is a great way on paper. I mean, again, I'm no business expert, but seemingly a great way to try and lure more business. It's also cheaper for Tesla than building their own convenience stores or lounges like what's at Kettleman City, as great as Kettleman City is. Not that Tesla shouldn't do those things at all, but my point is that that probably doesn't scale. Right. So partnering with established businesses like Bucky's, etc., is much easier to scale and offers a mutual benefit. So I agree that we will see a lot more of it 
in the coming years. One more call on this topic, another response. It's from Pete in Texas, also on the same subject. Hey, Ryan, it's Pete from Texas. Um, I was calling in about, well, actually, before I start, so I think it's Peugeot rather than Peugeot um, for the pronunciation, which is rich coming from me, you know, Britain, Texas for the last 14 years. So who knows where my accent is, but um, I think that's how you pronounce Peugeot. But I was calling in about, I think it was Dan or Daniel that called in while he was on vacation in Austin. He had the misfortune to go to a Bucky's. Um, and I only say that because if I get my family into a Bucky's, then I've lost them for at least an hour and they'll probably come back with a hundred bucks worth of crap. So um, I'm not necessarily a fan of the place, but it is very popular. They're huge, obviously. And I think it's great that um, what could loosely be called a gas station is, is adopting superchargers. Um, which is why I was calling in. So late last year, they signed an agreement with Tesla to install superchargers at 26 of their locations, which isn't just Texas. It's also Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, and South Carolina. So I think it's great to see superchargers going at gas stations. I wish um, some of the other brands would, would look at doing that. And I know certainly in Europe that's that's the case, but it's not really um, happening over here just yet. But um, it's progress. And... Um, you know, I'll still avoid a Bucky's like the plague, but if I'm absolutely desperate and I have to charge, then at least I know there's something worthwhile there for me. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for the call, Pete. So I listened to your call and I had to think, well, wait a second. Have I been mispronouncing it for a very, very long time? Meaning Peugeot, as I am saying it. So I'm still saying it this way. It'll make sense in a second. So the DeLorean has the engine in the DeLorean is the PRV6. PRV stands for Peugeot, Renault, Volvo. The six is for six cylinder because each of those companies used that engine in one car or another in the late 70s and early 80s. So you got me thinking, well, wait a second. I've said this word a lot over the years when people ask me, oh, what kind of engine's in that thing? And nobody's ever corrected me. So, but (laughs) then you got me thinking, well, wait a second though. I've really only ever talked to fellow Americans who aren't used to pronouncing it because that car brand is not really known or established here. So you got me wondering. I Googled it, though. According to Google, at least, it is pronounced like this. Here's the actual, like, pronounced thing when you Google this and you can click, you know, you can click an audio file and here's what it is. Peugeot. So there you go. That's what Google says. So maybe I haven't been getting it wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong, but maybe that's like the American pronunciation. I'm not sure. Anyway, getting back to the rest of your call. uh, Thank you for real for reminding me about that deal that Tesla signed with Bucky's. I forgot about that, though. It may have a uh, big gravitational pull on your family when you stop in. Seriously, it is great to see these big recognizable interstate chains like this, convenience store places, embracing EVs and EV charging. It is a good thing. Take care, Pete. Thanks so much. Next up, Jason from Temecula. Hey, Ryan. This is Jason from Temecula, Big Family Show, and thank you for all that you do. My question is this. Uh, We have a Model X coming in, and we have another Tesla. I'm hoping to see a software update where you can actually, just like how you can pull your mirrors, when you get close to your house, I'd like to see something like that where the camera actually shows up. That way you can see how much room you have with your vehicle. Just getting the car in and getting the car out and also be a big uh, safety update as well. 
just living in a uh, town, living in a house, uh, having kids around, it's something I wouldn't mind seeing and then having the camera go off once you get a certain amount of distance. Again, thanks for all you do. Big fan of the show. Howdy, Jason. Congratulations on your upcoming Model X delivery. It is a beast of a vehicle, regardless of the configuration. I am sure that your family's gonna love it. As to your idea, I would take it because I do the exact same thing myself every time I'm pulling my Model 3 in through my very narrow single car garage door opening. I make sure to turn on that back, backup camera with the repeater cameras each time I'm going in or out as well. I'm just like you. So here's hoping we can get that geolocated toggle for those cameras just to add a little extra step of, a little extra touch of convenience. Thank you, Jason, for your call. And let's go next to Chris in Kansas. Hi, Ryan. This is Chris in Kansas. I'm a longtime listener and a first-time caller. My question for the audience and you is how to transfer ownership uh, from one Tesla owner to another. I recently sold my Model 3 Standard Range Plus and rolling that into a 22 Model 3 Long Range that I'm going to buy from my brother. But neither one of us are sure how to move the car to me and what does it take to get it over to me. And when we called Tesla, they're really coy about what it takes to do it. So if anyone has any hints or tricks or any idea what I'm going to need to have, that would be great. Thanks for all you do. Chris, I am very sorry that Tesla did not give you a clear and straightforward answer here because to the best of my knowledge, this is pretty simple. All you need to do is log into your Tesla account on a computer, not the Tesla app on your phone. And when you do that, on the first screen you will see, you'll, uh, you'll see a little message there, an option that says, purchased a car from a third party with a link to click add, as in adding a new vehicle. And then if you click your car, uh, you'll see a line on the right side of the screen that says, sold your car to a third party with a link to click on that says, remove car. So hopefully that helps you and anybody else out there who may be either selling their car or buying one from someone other than Tesla. Enjoy your new Model 3, Chris. Michael from Utah is up next, talking road trip. Hello, Ryan and Daisy. This is Michael Williams calling from Richfield, Utah. Thank you, by the way, for your fantastic podcast. I had an experience last week that reminded me of a suggestion I had thought of last year when I had this problem. So I had a trip I needed to make that was 85 miles to the west of here, uh, near Delta, Utah, where there are no superchargers. Uh, so I left uh, showing me that I'd have... 30% battery life upon my return. So I got out there, it was about 50 degrees when I took the trip, got out there, stayed a little longer than I thought, and when I got in the car to return home, it was uh, at sunset, and my car showed me that I would have 7% battery life upon my return. So I was a little concerned, but just thought, oh, I'll go the speed limit, things will be fine, but 15, 20 minutes into the ride, the temperature had dropped, and it was in the high 30s by the time it was showing me 2% battery life. And I was worried, but then thought, oh, well, I'm going to hypermile. So I went in the drive settings, turned everything off, turned off fog lights, turned off all the safety features, uh, turned off all the navigation, and 
when I got back home, I actually had 10% uh, battery left. So that was nice. But I was reminded that it would be very nice to have a hypermile button where it would tell, maximize the efficiency. So I'm never sure if I'm supposed to turn the regen off or if I'm supposed to leave it on, depending on how fast. But anyway, if Tesla could just change all those settings, say, hey, we're turning off safety features. Are you sure you want to do this? You hit yes. And then when you're done, you could easily just turn off the hypermile and all your settings would return to normal. I'm not aware of anything like that. Um, if you are, I'd love to hear your su suggestions. And uh, if not, hopefully someone's listening that will be able to uh, make a change. Anyway, thank you again for what you do and talk to you later. Hey, Michael, I'm glad you made it home okay. And I'll tell you, I think a hypermile button's a great idea. I mean, the car does cut the available power in half when you get down to, I think it's 10% state of charge, I believe. So that's a start, but I'm with you. For folks that either want or if they unfortunately are in the right, the wrong spot, need to hypermile, Tesla should make it as easy as possible for people to save every last, every last uh, jewel, every last little uh, watt hour they possibly can. You know, it would effectively just be a macro script, right? That I'm not a programmer, but a macro script that turns off all the things that you manually disabled in order to get that extra juice back, right? So good idea, Michael. Hopefully somebody from Tesla is listening and adds that to the idea board that definitely exists somewhere. The, I guess it's probably not a real board. It's probably a, a shared online database somewhere because this is 2022 <laughs> after all. Now, one more call this week. It is from Greg in D.C. responding to, uh, you may remember a caller from a month or so back, Andrew, who was uh, frustrated about his inability to transfer his FSD beta access that he had, you know, unlocked through the safety score and then wanted to move it to a different car after selling that car. So here's Greg from D.C. in response to that. Hey, Ryan, this is Greg from D.C., uh, I heard the other caller last week comment on the FSD beta access that he's trying to get transferred or, quote, not transferred from um, from a previous vehicle to the new vehicle that he'd pay for it. And I'm very, I can very much empathize and totally see where that listener is coming from. For me, I actually had a, I had to get my computer replaced. The Tesla service team uh, completely replaced the computer in my Model 3 because uh, it was basically bugging out every time the car tried to start uh, and, and going to drive. Separate issue. But I was in the FSD beta program on the same vehicle that I, you know, I, I paid for FSD beta and got in last fall with the safety score and the whole nine yards. Uh, and then after they replaced the computer in the car, I'm no longer in the beta. And, you know, I had, I had uh, the, the service team at my local service center, you know, they, they also went to bat for me, told me they were going to try to escalate my, my emails. I'd sent to the autopilot team, uh, get some, get some eyes on them. I've sent, I think two or three emails to the autopilot team and I've politely, uh, as you said, requested. And, and for me, it's really restoring access, uh, that was lost directly due to the service servicing at the local center. Um, you know, I, I haven't gotten any, any replies on that email at all. 
And honestly, I remember before the button and the safety score thing came out uh, last fall, like that email was kind of the only channel to request uh, access to the beta. So I imagine at this point, they're just not even looking at it anymore. And it's just, I would honestly be curious if anyone has any success of getting any replies from that email. Uh, Cause I think the other listener has a very valid uh, case. And then, you know, I think I do too, when I no longer have FSD purely as a result of Tesla servicing my car. Um, so anyway, yeah, if anyone at Tesla is listening to this, maybe, maybe we can, uh, you know, rally the the team and get some eyes on that that early access or that autopilot email and maybe that'll start helping some folks thanks ryan greg i feel bad for you i i honestly do a part in your car failed through no fault of your own it was replaced under warranty by tesla and now you're out of fsd beta that's a tough pill to swallow and it really seems pretty unfair to you and by the way to John from Williamsburg, Virginia as well, who called in with the exact same scenario. The same thing happened to him. I'm really sorry to hear that. I would be frustrated too. Although, honestly, both you and John, uh, whose call I didn't play here, but both you and John sounded pretty chill about it. Here's hoping that you can get some resolution in your favor on that uh, as we speak this into the world here on the podcast. Again, maybe there is a Tesla guardian angel listening who can help you and John from Williamsburg, Virginia out as well. Good luck to you both. Thanks to everybody that took the time to call in for this podcast. Again, I welcome your phone calls. I invite your phone calls. I think you make the podcast better by calling in, getting to hear from so many different voices in the Tesla community. So keep those calls coming. I gave you the call-in instructions at the top of this segment. You can refer back to that. But for now, stick with me. I'm not quite done yet. I'll tell you a little bit more about my windshield cracking incident. And I've got a pro tip of the week for you coming up right after this. So yeah, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, broken windshield. I mean, it's just a, it's a small, I mean, it's an impact, uh, but it's a significant one. I can see two little cracks on either side underneath the, you know, the divot under the glass. It is definitely going to spread out and, and crack. It's at the far, it's not literally on the edge of the windshield, the passenger side edge, but it's, uh, it's over in that sort of black border area, meaning where if you're in the car, you can't see it because it's blocked by the A-pillar. And it was when I got out of the car and I was uh, paying at a parking meter, I happened to see it. I was like, well, I know exactly how this happened. So I was just on autopilot down the freeway. Uh, and I always hang out in the second lane from the left, usually. And just, you know, cruising on autopilot and just getting some little pebbles, right? You can, you know, you can hear them hitting the glass and you're like, oh, what is doing that? Couldn't see what was doing it. Just cruising along, not much I can do about it. And eventually, I catch up to the culprit, and I can see it's it's one of those street sweeper trucks, those street sweeper vehicles with the big roller on the back of it. Now, it wasn't doing any sweeping. It was going at a slow highway speed, because those things aren't exactly built for speed. But as I'm passing it, it's just dumping all these little pebbles, little rocks, and one of them had, like, 
I, I did remember, like, after I found the crack, because, again, I couldn't see it from the inside of the car. I couldn't, I didn't know until I got out of the car after I'd parked. But there was one that sounded pretty bad. I was like, when, when I heard the impact, when I heard it hit the glass, I was like, oh, did that get me? And I'm looking at the glass, I'm looking at the glass, and I don't see anything. So I'm like, oh, I think I dodged it that time. Sure, and it turns out, no, I did not dodge it at all. It's just, uh, it was just on one edge of the glass. So that's unfortunate. Uh, I need to call, you know, just get with my insurance company and do the deductible. I, I think my deductible is 500 for glass, I, I think. I hope, I hope it's not more than that because I know that Model 3 Tesla windshields, I mean, well, the Model X windshield's like 1600 bucks. I don't know. I don't know how much like full retail price on a Model Three windshield is, but in any case, it's gonna. It was still a very expensive rock that <laughs> that hit me, no matter how much it ends up costing. So that's a bummer, but it happens. And again, like I said at the top, I would I would take uh, a, an impact on the glass to an impact on the body ten out of ten times, seven days a week. No, you know, that's definitely the preferred scenario because glass can be more easily replaced than than body damage can be repaired. So it's a bummer, but it happens. This will be, yeah, like I said, I'm just coming up on four years of ownership here in another uh, two and a half months. So yeah, it'll be windshield number three going on the car uh, in a total of four years, you know, t- twice replaced three total windshields. It is what it is. Hey, how about an entertainment recommendation? I am a big fan of the Kids in the Hall, the sketch comedy troupe. They're, they're, uh, they were on HBO way back in the 90s, late, late 80s, early 90s, but I saw them when it, when it came to Comedy Central. I was a teenager at that point. I think I was just, just the perfect age. that it was, it was like formative comedy for me. I just It just completely clicked with me. I love the Kids in the Hall. I've I've gone to see them on their live tours a couple times over the years, and I had read I want to say it was might have even been pre-pandemic that they signed a deal with Amazon to actually bring the show back, not do a special, not, like do another season of the Kids in the Hall sketch comedy show. It went up today as I'm recording this. It went up on Friday, May thirteenth. I've watched two episodes so far, and I went in. I'll be honest. I went in. These guys, you know, it's been 25 plus years. Your tastes change. Your your you know things that you found funny when you were 15 aren't exactly aren't always funny when you're 40. Uh, you know, people evolve. Uh, but so I why I went in kind of thinking, am I gonna you know is this still gonna have any magic for me? I have to say, I was laughing hysterically. It is. They did not miss a beat. It still feels fresh. It still feels funny and relevant and just smart and original comedy. So if you've got Prime Video and you're a Kids in the Hall fan, highly recommend it. If you want to get into Kids in the Hall for the first time, I don't know if I would necessarily start with this. I would probably go back to the original show, which, by the way, I I saw is on Prime Video also. It's not every season, but it's several seasons. So anyway... That's my that's my I love kids in the hall recommendation for this week. How about a pro tip of the week? It's coming from Earl in Montreal. Hey Ryan, it's Earl from Montreal. Uh, big fan, listening to your podcast for many years now. And um, something happened to me yesterday, which I think might be a pro tip uh, for people. Um, being up in Canada, 
of course, we do a seasonal tire change here. And I did put my uh, 22-inch wheels back on my Model X yesterday. Um, and I had it done at a third party because Tesla now refuses to do that for you, um, which is a whole other discussion. But anyway, uh, later on during the day, I realized, hey, wait, of course, I have to change the configuration so that my range is accurately reflected. And, uh, of course, most importantly, the picture of my car uh, has the right uh, wheels on it uh, when I'm looking at that beautiful picture. So while driving, I was at a traffic stop on a bridge, and I decided, you know what, I'll try it. Of course, I go to the menu, and it's grayed out because I was in drive. So it looked like it was going to be a long wait, so I put the car in park for a few seconds, and I did the wheel configuration and changed it to my... Uh, 22-inch wheels. Um, That was all perfect. When I went to put the car back in drive, as people started honking at me, two black screens, flash of car off uh, on the screen, and the car was dead as a doornail. And, of course, that threw me for a loop. I put on my hazards. I'm not sure if they even worked. (laughs) And freaking out uh, appropriately as there was a line of cars behind me on this bridge. I tried the, uh, you know, the two button reset, etc., etc. After about three minutes of agony, the screens came on and I was putting, I put the car in uh, drive and drove away. Um, I, I don't know what that has to do with the wheels. I didn't think it was anything. I thought I might have a glitch. I had no idea. I called a friend who works at Tesla And lo and behold, he told me that in his Model S last year, same thing happened to him. He was doing the same impatient thing that I was doing on on a highway, at a a slow traffic situation. Same thing happened to him. So it's probably a reset that the uh, car does when you're changing the configuration of the wheels. And it probably, like a laptop sometimes does, is restarting the computers. They need to warn people about this before or do something with the button saying, warning, do this only when you're not driving at all and parked uh, not in traffic. Anyway, that's my my thought. It was quite uh, interesting. And uh, I don't know if it's happened to anybody else. It'll be interesting to hear. Bye. Thanks. Earl, I am so glad that you called in with this one because I have also done the exact same thing that you did and your friend from Tesla did. I think for me, it was on the way home from getting my new zero G wheels from Tesla. I was excited, you know, to change it in the car menu so that like you, the most important thing, the in-car graphic would match the outside of the car. And I also found out the hard way that you're stuck there for a little while when you do this. In my case, I was, of course, first in line at a red light. (laughs) And like you, I had some people honking at me as quite frankly, they were well within their rights to do. And it was quite embarrassing and also a little stressful. But thankfully, as you said, it it was over in in what feels like an eternity, but really isn't. So I appreciate your pro tip here because now just from your call, we've established that there are at least three of us that have done this, which means there are probably others that can benefit from this information. Hopefully your call will spare others the embarrassment and the stress that you and I and your friend from Tesla 
have suffered. Thank you again for your pro tip of the week. And if anybody else out there also has a pro tip of the week, I would love to hear it. Give me a call anytime the same way that you call in with the regular Ride the Lightning hotline. And I, of course, play one pro tip at the near the end of each and every podcast. I love this segment. Uh, I get feedback from you guys. You guys enjoy this segment as well. So we'll keep them going. Keep those pro tips coming in. All right, before I get out of here, I want to mention some friends of the podcast. Let me start uh, with the Patreon, actually. I'm going to go there for today, just because I mentioned at the top that the sixth Patreon-iversary is coming up, which is, uh, it, wow, it's it's pretty crazy that it's been that long. And so, you know, I want to thank everybody that's supported me either currently or at some point in time. And again, as I mentioned every week, the Patreon is the primary way that you can voluntarily choose to support this podcast. It's always going to be free. It'll be there for you. But if you feel like at some point, hey, Ryan, you know what? You have earned my support. I want to go on Patreon and I want to back you. I want to show you a little love. You can do that by going to my Patreon page, which is found at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. There are various support tiers. They start at just five bucks a month, or you can do it as a one-time annual payment. And if you do that, there's a 5% discount in it for you as well. And even just that first tier gets you early access to each week's episode. And as I said at the top, uh, I've got a couple of ideas, uh, one big idea really, for hopefully adding a little more value to the Patreon for people that are kind enough to back me. So I'm going to roll that out in sort of celebration of the sixth anniversary uh, of Patreon. Now, if you're thinking, all right, well, I'll just wait till you roll that out. We don't have to do that because uh, it'll anybody will be grandfathered in. It'll all roll in. It's not going to be a you know, thing you need to wait for. So if you do see it in your heart to, to uh, support me on Patreon, you can do that today, either at the month on a monthly basis or an annual basis at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. I'll give these shout outs to the higher tier Patreon backers at the end. But first, let me mention some friends of the podcast on the, uh, you know, retail, not retailer, what's vendor side. That's it. First up, abstractocean.com. Sellers of so many fine aftermarket goods for your Tesla, whether you have the S, the X, the 3, or the Y, maybe it's a rear footwell lighting kit for you Model Y owners because those uh, front seats are on risers. So maybe you want to get some nice uh, LED lighting under there, some accent lighting so that it looks very nice from the back. That could be something you want to do. Maybe you want to do the uh, tempered glass, the fourth generation tempered glass screen protector. There's center console wraps, there's window switch wraps, there's just all kinds of stuff. You got to check it out, abstractocean.com, and use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout in order to get 15% off of your first order. That's RTLPODCAST, all one word there. How about Snap Plate, which you can get at everyamp.com RTL. That is the front license plate bracket that I highly recommend if you want or are legally bound to put a front license plate on your Tesla. It does not use automotive tape the way that the one that Tesla gives you does. 
This instead snaps on and off in seconds, but when it's on, it's securing, it's installing very securely. It's not gonna mess with your paint, your grill, your radiator, autopilot, or any of the sensors, nothing. It's just, it's very nice and minimalist. I'm a fan. Check it out for, again, any of the four Teslas at everyamp.com slash RTL. And how about budget safe solar? Every Tesla owner probably has a pretty good idea, if not knows exactly the amount of money they're spending on electricity for their Tesla. But you know that information, you and I both, we know that information based on today's electric grid rates. Nobody knows how much these rates are gonna be in the next five, 10, let alone 15 years, except if you have solar. If you've thought about getting solar at your home or office, contact friend of the show, budgetsafesolar.com. Sure, reach out to Tesla. Do, you know, you're gonna wanna look into them, I'm sure, but budgetsafesolar.com operates all 50 states. They're basically like, think of them like real estate brokers, but for solar. They're gonna help you find, you're gonna tell them what your needs are. They're gonna find the right installer, the right system for you budgetsafesolar.com, capping tomorrow's energy costs today. And by the way, if you're entering, if you're considering going into the field, the growing field of solar, they'd love to talk to you as well. So learn more, reach out, budgetsafesolar.com. And if you do go through with a solar installation for your home or business, please use the referral code RTL. I would sincerely appreciate that. Meanwhile, Immaculate Reflections, the wonderful detailer here in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. If you're gonna be in the greater San Francisco Bay Area with your car, why not treat yourself and your car to some love at Immaculate Reflections? I'm talking, uh, it's, it's really whatever you wanna do. There's ceramic coating, which lasts three to five years, and water will just bead off of it. It is basically a wax on steroids. There's paint correction, if you wanna get your finish looking better than new. Uh, better than factory, which I can personally assure you that that happened with my car. It it came out of it came out of Immaculate Reflections better than it came out of the Tesla factory. Uh, maybe you want to do paint protection film to protect that paint from little dings and and debris and thin scratches and things like that. Any of it, all of it. Reach out irdetailing.com. Get in touch. And mention that you're a listener of Ride the Lightning, and there's a nice little discount waiting for all listeners of this podcast. You just got to mention, I'm a Ride the Lightning listener. And then puretesla.com slash RTL. That's your one-stop shop for all your dash cam and sentry mode needs. 49 bucks shipped free anywhere in the U.S. That'll get you the 128 gigabyte micro SD based USB kit. That's what I've got in my car. It's just gonna work, and that's what you want from your sentry mode setup. You don't want USB flash memory that's gonna not hold up for more than six, eight, 10 months. Grab a kit from puretesla.com slash RTL. They've even now also got wireless game controllers, a nice little kit for your Tesla if you do play a lot of games in the car. Check out their nice, like, low-profile, slimline, wireless game controllers for the uh, all the video games that are built into the car. How about Jada and their wonderful line of Tesla accessories? They've got the Jada USB hub console for the newer threes and Ys. It's a storage organizer, USB hub, Apple watch charger, and AirPod charger, 
all in one. There's also the Jada Tray, which is a drop-in tech-focused center console organizer. I've got that one in my car. There's also the wireless charging pad. They're up to version four on that. I've got version three in my car. That's for the older Model 3s that don't have a wireless charging pad built in from the factory. I highly recommend that if, like me, you don't have it in your car out of the factory. Uh, they've even got a USB hub as well. If you just want some more USB ports readily accessible in the center console, they've got you covered. So uh, I've got a coupon code for you on that. It's RTL, very simple there. All I ask in return is that you use my referral link when you're purchasing. So please go to getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. And Jada is spelled J-E-D-A on that. Finally, uh, we circle back around to, well, I guess I'll mention my uh, social medias. If you're interested in following me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm the same handle on both, DMC underscore Ryan. And you can always email me if you want as well. The email address is teslapodcast at gmail.com. That will about wrap it up, other than saying hello and thank you to the Plaid, Maximum Plaid, and Roadster in Space tier backers. First, uh, the Plaid tier, that's George Cassioppo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, Dorian Steve Guberman, Jeremy, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Dennis Peake, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altshul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, the Tesla owners East Bay Club, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Rick Dean, not Elon Musk, T. Kirk Lowry, Peter, and the Bear Boys of Colorado. On the Maximum Plaid group, I want to thank the newest Maximum Plaid backers, Matt Asbury and We Drive Tesla EV Luxury Car Rental in Oahu, Hawaii. Thank you very much. Along with the rest of the Maximum Plaid crew, Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, John Schmidt, the Galpin family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Tyler Smith, Corey O'Donnell, Matthew Graham Droneberger, Scott Gillis, Aaron Huxley, John Cody, Aaron, Andre Kent, Joel Sapp, Kim Bay, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, Zach Schwartz, and KB. Finally, the Roadster in Space tier, a big thank you goes out to Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Crafty Geek, Richard Stokes, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Iacoveto, and Tesla Hitchhiker 42. I sincerely appreciate everyone's 
extremely kind generosity on Patreon, regardless of the tier that you are pledging at. It really does make a difference, a positive difference in my life, my family's life. So thank you. I really, from the bottom of my heart, I don't say that often enough. I mean, I guess if you've been listening a while, you've heard it here and there, but it's important to say from time to time and to make make it clear that it's not taken for granted. I know this, it's, uh, you know, you are reaching into your pocket and, uh, and just doing an act of generosity to support this podcast. So I really do thank you. That will wrap it up for Ride the Lightning episode 354 for a snoring Daisy the Boxer. I'm Ryan McCaffrey. Happy electric motoring, and I'll see you back here next week, same time as always. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.